Well, hi, my friend. Hi. So this is technically your conversation that you started. You started this. I started the whole thing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been fun and we're just getting started. I know. <laughs> so tell me a little bit first about what caused you to start Guilty of Heresy? Because I think that's ballsy and direct. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. What, there's so many pieces to the whole story. It's kind of like where to start. What I would say is that so much of my life had been centered around religion, Christianity, and searching for things and growing up in a Christian family. And then certain things along the way, just kind of, eh, there were some things that resonated and there were a lot of things that didn't. And so there was this constant reaching for something else which is what landed us both at uh, Impact International Bible School because it was different. It was, yeah. it had the core sort of Christian points of view that I knew. I knew because that's what I was born into and that's what I was told and taught. And it also had a little bit of an edginess of they did auricular acupuncture for like an outpatient drug and alcohol treatment. And that's one of many things. And the whole theme was God's not mad at you no matter what. And there was something about that, that it was this other space of no judgment that I was curious about. And then I started teaching at the Bible school. And one of the things that I would do is I would be, you know, Hey, you're going to teach the book of Ephesians or the book of Galatians. And so got very curious and I thought, Hmm, you know, there's all these language tools and all the things of, the language the Bible was written in and then translated into Latin. And then you just start to look at how the layers of what actually occurred from the written language to the spoken language and into all the translation. And I just decided to dig in. So I got my lexicon and my, my um, Strong's concordance. And I literally nerdy geeked out of taking a Bible verse and every single word researching it and you know all no online stuff at that point this was years ago so just all the books and all the paper out on the on the kitchen table going to town and i would get done looking at a verse and going oh my god it didn't say at all what they said it said and the more that that started to unravel and the more i started to see it matched what i somewhere knew what it was actually saying that wasn't what i had been told that it was saying yeah. And that started me really searching for more. And so I, I dug into all kinds of books, The Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell and The Dance of the Dissident Daughter by Sue Munt Kidd. And there was the Gnostic Gospels. And then I got into the church history thing. And it was really exciting to me. And it was also really crane ball wrecking everything I had built my life on at the same time. So fast forward, that was the major upheaval of my life <laughs> as far as as far as the foundation of my world just exploding. But so from there, I started to look for, I went to the Unity Church for a while. I practiced Reiki. I did this thing called Mortal Life. There was this thing of always searching for something else. And it was always something outside of me. And there was finally where I hit the place of recognizing wow, you know what? I'm the source and it isn't something outside of me and I don't actually need saved. 
I'm not actually broken. I don't actually need to be fixed. And that began an empowerment of me trusting myself and me no longer having to look for something that really set me free and changed everything in my life. Prior to that, there was an unsettled, there was a restless, there was a depression, there was a, something was just off and I couldn't figure out what it was. And so the long answer to your question, what launched me to come out with the guilty of heresy is getting when, when somebody has the epiphany of, oh, it's not outside of me. I am the source. That's the key to really everything changing. And I wanted to put voice to that. Yeah. So let's skip way back. Yeah. When did, because I would say this is losing, you've lost your religion. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> it doesn't exist at all anymore. Yeah. When did you gain your religion? Can you tell me a little bit about the beginning of your life and just kind of when all that started and what it was all like? And Yeah. So I was five and I think I mentioned this in our first conversation. Yeah. It was a little church down the street that my mom took my brother and I to for a kid's crusade. And the lady up on the stage with Clifford, the terrifying dummy, and she was ventriloquist and talking about Jesus and all of that. And this was the first time I heard what we call the Jesus story, you know, she talked about the sinner's prayer and giving, letting Jesus into your heart. That was the thing. And there was such an energy present that in my five-year-old world was, make you cry, so contrasting to my life. I mean, yeah. extremely abusive, dysfunctional, toxic family, every kind of abuse going on. My daily existence was, I lived in so much fear of you just in a constant state of who's going to get hit next and knowing the trigger points. And even at five years old, knowing how to handle an adult person to minimize them going off the rails and abusing somebody. And so you're in this little body and you're managing these things. And then you go to this place and you're hearing these words and perceiving these, this energy. And I just, everything melted. Like there was a tangible, whatever that is. Yeah. So that was my encounter with Jesus and which I have come to view very differently as my adult self. And I am so grateful, so grateful because my world changed. I now had a place where, oh, I can just give it to Jesus. Well, I can ask Jesus for help. Yeah. And, you know, call it, call it what you want. You could do the same with an imaginary friend. You could do it with fairies. You could do it with flowers. It doesn't matter what the framework of something is. It provided for me this place of, I don't have to carry this all here. I can actually, and it opened up something. And there was a thrum in the universe that I knew before I even knew words. And the Jesus story was the closest thing that at the age of five, I had ever heard that matched the thrum that I knew ran through the universe, that I knew ran through my body that I was aware of. And mm -hmm. it was a, it was a coming alive of, oh yeah, there's something else here. I know there's something else here. So it was really an awesome gift, tangible in all the ways. And then as I grew up, in the churches and it was very charismatic types of churches so and if you don't know what that means we're talking 
I say one step away from snake handling, and that's oh, yeah. not an exaggeration. No. I mean, the next thing <laughs> that was going to be added was snake handling. I'm just, you know, I think the only it. reason that wasn't added was like the image we were, we were like <laughs> that the was preppy, preppy Protestants. Right. We were the preppy Protestants, yes. But it was, you know, the dancing in the aisles and the hands raised and the slain in the spirit oh, and baby. speaking in tongues and the words of wisdom, words of prophecy and God this and, you know, all that stuff. And what occurred often was my parents would pick a church and it was the best church ever until it wasn't, until it was the worst church ever because somebody would offend. Yep. Somebody would offend. Somebody would mess up. The pastor would have a horrible sermon one Sunday. We were now upset and we had to let the pastor know we were upset and where they fucked up. And then we would go find another place. I mean, we lived in tiny Podunk, Minnesota. So after running, there's only so many charismatic churches, right? <laughs> after running through so many, we would drive an hour and a half Sunday morning and back Sunday night and back. So three hours round trip and then Wednesdays because we had to keep looking further for churches. But the more that I was into uh, participating in those environments was the more the energy that I perceived in my Jesus experience was no longer matching. It was a lot of judgment, a lot of control. Even in my little kid brain, I knew that there were abusive things going on with the families to the children and to the spouses. And it just got really clunky in my world. And yet there was something I really wanted to hang on to. So yeah. that's where I started to explore. There was a church in, in Minneapolis. I went to college in St. Paul and there was a church that was, um, gosh, I can't even think it was something. Um, but it had a very healing. It was all about healing, like a nurturing, emotional healing was their focus. They had their associate pastor was a counselor It had a very nurturing energy, which was different. So I tried that it added a thing, but it still wasn't that. And I could go down. I mean, it was one thing after the other, trying to find what matched in the beginning. Wow. And I, yeah, go ahead. No, you keep going. <laughs> Well, and I think that's kind of a scary part when something has added something to your life, even when it's getting picked apart and you know it's getting picked apart. There's something I wanted to make okay about it. I wanted to find the thread of it that matched my still fundamental foundation. And the thing, and Rob Bell talks about this in his book, The Velvet Elvis, the thing with a foundation of Christianity, if you pull out one of the foundational blocks and look at it, and you no longer can fit it back in to the foundation, the whole damn thing's coming down because they're all built on each other. And he uses the example of the Virgin Mary and saying, you know, this whole thing of Jesus was born of virgin birth. But if you look at it, the actual definition of virgin at that time was someone who got pregnant the first time they had sex. Well, there, there goes all of Christianity. I mean, there's one tenant gone and then it just goes from there. So wasn't a miracle. He can't be the son of God. All, everybody's. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then I started reading in the Gnostic gospels and, and, and church history and things, how all of these Gnostic writings, and there was this whole thing of, you know, there's documents and writings of Jesus was married. You want to talk about another foundational block, completely derailing the whole damn thing. We need Jesus married. He was sacred. He couldn't have sex. I mean, that's terrible. 
Yeah, I would say that's true of any foundation though. Like, and that's yeah, the thing true. about a foundation yes, is if it it's is. built on a foundation and then it can't change. It literally has to stay there where, and I love how Gary talks about, like, that's why we actually want to give you a platform to create from so that yes. you can create and take it down if you want or create. So platforms can have all manner of creative yes. possibilities on them. So yeah, that's... And Rob Bell uses the example of a trampoline, which I also love because he's on the trampoline with his son. And he he's using that as the example of how he jumps, which gives the son a little bit more momentum. And then he jumps and then he got more momentum. So there was this dance and this, my, my jump and my question sparks yours to go to a little bit higher. And then I spark you to go to look a little bit higher and a little bit farther. And it becomes an exploration. And and it becomes a curiosity and a moment of real freedom for me, which was an ex-terrifying moment, excited and terrifying, was when I got, you know what, I don't actually have to have a belief about, I don't actually have to have an answer about anything. I can always wonder and be curious about it. And that took some work and it took yeah. a lot of crazy searching to get there and what a whole new world opens up in that space. So in this, I mean, this is, we're, we're summarizing a lifetime of choosing, you know? Yes. And so were there some key moments where you had like pivotal tilts in your world where you knew it was going yes. to affect and create things you ne didn't necessarily want to face? Like, can you talk about maybe the first or some of the key ones? Yes. What I would say, so when I was actually at the Bible school in mm. Huntsville, Alabama, and I was extrapolating all of these verses and reading all of these things, I was still teaching Bible school and I was doing my best to ride the, the edge of not being too contradictory to the fundamental points of view of the church that I was teaching the Bible school for while pushing the envelope because my mind and my, where I was with all of it was no longer on the same page. And it, there was, um, there were two moments in my experience there. One, one was knowing I'm going to get fired probably if I keep doing this, because I keep pushing the envelope a little bit farther. So maybe I need to go. And the other was, this was my career. I was the director of the preschool and I taught at the Bible school. So this was a livelihood. This was people I had known for 10 years that I, many of them very much enjoyed and I called them my friends. My kids were a part of that church. It was a whole integrated and it was our life, you know, it was integrated and it wasn't here's work over here and church over here and family over here. No, it was all yeah. one, all together. So there was going to be a disruption in that. But a very defining moment for me, I remember sitting, listening in a service on a Sunday and the talk was about kids and how it was just sort of meant to be a joke, but it just really landed with full force. And the comment was, well, you know, those kids, they got a sin nature, but we're trying to fix that. We're trying to fix that. So hang in there, parents. We're trying to get them past that sin nature. And I just went, oh no, no. What that little mustard seed statement creates in families and kids being judged yeah. and kids being devalued and kids being not, you know, invalidated. That was, I can no longer be here with this. This is just not 
how I see things anymore. So that was a very strong moment for me, which then led me to the Unity Church, because it's funny, the thing that lands that you're like, oh, that crossed the line right there, I'm done, out, wizard out. I went and I find the Unity Church and I'm there on the first Sunday that I'm there. And it's something, it was a very uh, ritualistic in a sense where they did the same little songs every week, the same little sayings, all this, but they would have the kids come up to the front of the church. And the congregation would say this poem, which is basically, we see the light in you. We see, we see the beauty in you. We honor you. We, we are aware of what you can teach us. And that was so soothing to me after the whole sin nature conversation. And it was being there was a gift for a moment. And then I told the story. I don't think we recorded this one. There was another moment where it came into play where, okay, this is, this is the same scenario, a little bit softer package, but here's still the things I need to believe if I'm going to be here and I'm not yeah. going to subscribe to, I have to believe like anybody else to be somewhere. So that's when I left. And that's the last time I went to a church actually. Mm, mm. So my God, <laughs> so many different there, things. There, I know. Yeah. So what so was much. it like, I, what was it about, how did you find, how did access consciousness find you? And can you tell me that just story? Like what's, what was that for you? Yes. So I was, I was married at the time, my youngest son's dad and I, and my youngest son who was three. Yeah. Yeah. We were at a metaphysical bookstore in okay. Denver and I wasn't there for me. He wanted to go there. I really was past looking for anything. I was just content. I didn't need a thing. And I'm following my son around, you know, trying to keep him from destroying the incense and breaking the Buddhas and all the things. He's three. And he's three. Exactly. So his dad tells me this when we're leaving and in the car driving back home, but his dad's standing looking at these books. And he says to the gentleman who's standing there, how do you get the shit to actually work? And the guy said, oh, there's this thing called access consciousness. And he's trying to pull it up on his phone. The internet's not working. So we didn't, you know, he didn't look at it at that time, but we drove home. I'm sitting, I worked from home. So a couple of days later, I'm working on my computer. And I was like, what's that thing? Access consciousness. I'm curious. I'm going to, I'm going to just look at it. So I looked and there's tons of free videos that Gary yeah. and Dane do. And so I found, I listened to a couple things and then I found one from Dane. I think it was a tour of consciousness. And I'm listening to him talk and he said, consciousness includes everyone and everything judges, nothing and no one. And I was like, what? Rewind. And I listened 10 times. And I mean, it was like tears and jumping up and down. And it, those words matched my Jesus experience. Those words matched every time there was an element of something that was a truth for me. Those words matched the thrum of the universe that was awakened in me when I was five years old. That the judgment that I saw confused, it cleared all the shit away. And that thrum was there again. And I went this this is the thing that i've always known that nobody ever said this is the thing and when i say it's a thing access consciousness has not become my new thing access consciousness was the gift in that it said to me what i always knew and it gave me some 
freaking amazing pragmatic tools to actually have joy and love living my life. And I am so freaking grateful for that. Yeah, same, same yeah. so much. So when, so it's so, I sorry, I'm like soaking it all in. The thrum. Yeah. And the thing you were always aware of and what was articulated about that, like how would you now talk about God and Jesus? Like what, how has that changed for you? That is a wonderful question. I, when I look at the whole concept of God, I like to say it as this thing we call God, because every single definition that I ever had of what God was or might be, that, that just there's no definition to that anymore. So when somebody says, are you agnostic? I can't even answer that. I don't need to know if, I don't, I would say, God to me is an energy. God to me, J Jesus is an energy. I, what I would say is the thrum runs through it all. If we are awake and aware and paying attention, we know about the thrum. And we look for words and definitions and frameworks and concepts to match the thrum so we can understand the thrum. But that's when we actually cut ourselves off from the awareness of the thrum. So to me, letting go of a definition of a God or a Jesus or a church or an anything is what allows me to perceive the oneness that I am with the thrum and I don't have to define it. Yeah. And it sounds like there's a, the richness that you discovered way back when you were little is present there. Is totally present, present there. Is, and yeah. it's present, you know, if you've ever just watched an amazing sunset or you ever see people moments where you see a dad and a daughter having like a connection and you're like, oh, that, or you see some young kid coming along to assist an elderly person with carrying their groceries. It's, it's those kindnesses, those, those um, nurturing, those where we perceive, I remember being in Colorado Springs and they have um, a hot, a hot air balloon festival every year. And there was one year I was there with my kids and when the balloons all launched at the same time, there's this field full of people and everybody falls silent. And it's just, was this space of everybody watching the balloons going up and it was mesmerizing, but there was more than that. There was a, there was a oneness. We were all focused on the same thing. There was something about it was rising above this earthly atmosphere and environment that was perceivable by all it was beyond hot air balloons. It was a moment where you go, wow, there's, well, we just looked up and we're all aware of something else. And that makes you a heretic. That makes me. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, and you asked in the beginning about what started the heretic yeah. conversations. And it did start with religion for me because that was the first really break apart thing. But you and I both know we can go down the line. I mean, relationships 
this reality would say, I sucked at them, divorced twice, made a whole mess of things, whatever, according to this reality. And then, but my point of view is, well, who said it was supposed to be forever? Well, who set those damn rules? <laughs> who said, you know, it just bleeds through everything in life. Yeah. Relationship and then family. Cause I know family that. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Including yeah. your kids. I mean, you've got different facets of family. I don't have kids to talk about, but including with yeah. your kids and with your original family and um, yeah. So if you were going to, what else haven't we touched on here? If you were going to speak to somebody watching this for the first time, what would you say? I would say whatever your experience is with any of this, whether it's, you know, a church, a cult, a religion, anything that you have been a part of and you've had a different point of view about it, you've known the something else, trust what you know and don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid. And there's nothing that you have to do and there's nothing that you can't do. So there is no right or wrong answer to the conversation of religion, cults, churches, any of it, any heretical thing. There's no right or wrong. There's curiosity and wonder and what you know. So what if you gave yourself just the permission and the freedom to explore what's true for you? Yeah. And choose towards it. Yeah. And it's speaking a little bit before we wrap up to, you know, I know you and I have both been through so many moments where we've faced the crumbling of our foundation and gone, well, it's this or death. <laughs> like, seriously, can't, can't yeah. not have this change. So, yeah. whatever yeah. the fallout is, fine. And it's not that we didn't cry or we didn't care or any of that right. stuff. It's just we did it anyway. For somebody totally. that's facing choosing that for maybe the first time or it seems like the first time, is there anything that you would have to contribute to that moment? I would say, going back to the thrum that we talked about, how can you tap into that for you? And nature was a great part for me just to, you know, how whatever's going on in your world, you go into the mountains, you go to the ocean, you go sit in the quiet park. There's a space. And Crystal, you talked about this beautifully on our last conversation, which we're putting out as well about the space of nature and all of that. That space is the thrum and that space is more like you. Space is you. Yeah. And how can you... Yeah, how can you sorry. tap into that? No, you go ahead. Keep going. No, go, go. Go, go. So I interrupted it. How can you tap? How can you tap into that? And I would say to ask, like, where are fellow heretics that would like to contribute to me on my journey? So show up. They're out there. We are out here. <laughs> we are out here. And it turns yeah. out there's a lot of us. We just haven't yeah, been exactly. talking very much till now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And, and I, I just want to throw in there for whatever it's worth, like at those moments where exactly that, like tapping into nature, you can tap into you and what, you know, you are strong enough. You are courageous enough. You are brave enough. If you got yourself here, you can get yourself 
where you're going, even though you don't know what that is. And I think that's, I've watched you and I both following, I love that it's called the thrum, following the thrum, following that, following it, not knowing that we were necessarily doing it, but continually choosing from and as that into more of that. Um, and so you can, you can really trust that you are, you're following something only you can perceive and it's valuable and it's, it's you. It's you. It's, yeah. it's you. Yeah. Is there anything else? This is so beautiful. Uh, well, I just, I'm grateful for you and your questions and the conversation. It's so cool to me because Crystal, we did start this whole journey over 20 years ago and you and I have come together so many times and we've tried to start a thing. Is it time? Yeah. Are we writing never, a book? <laughs> it just never had the momentum and for oh. whatever, now is the time and now is the space. And um, I'm really, really grateful. And really, I would just highlight what you just said. That thrum is you. That source is you. The gift is you. The knowing is you. The space is you. It's you and it's always been you. And you weren't wrong for looking outside of you. That's what we're taught. But when you really embrace that it's you, you never lack for anything ever again. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you guys for listening. Um, you can go to marnierichman.com. CrystalJoyCrawford.com, thecultconversations.com to reach out to us. And and can I just add to that? If there are things you would like for us to speak to, like whatever these conversations, because we're three or four in, wherever you're landing with listening to this, but if there's anything that gets sparked that you would love for us to speak to, please ask, because we'll talk about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. you. See you next time. (laughs) Bye, guys.